You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Second Rejection Changes Everything, recorded on Sunday, October 28th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It's great to see you. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. My name is Mike, and uh, we're going through the book of Samuel. We're all the way up to chapter 8. We hope to get all the way through 17 before we have a Merry Christmas sermon, because Christmas is coming, and the goose is getting fat. Who eats goose? Nobody. Not anymore. Um, We're all the way up to chapter 8, and I think in order, first, no, I'll get to that in a minute. In order to grasp chapter 8, you have to have a feel of the government they have because they're about to have a change of government. Like if we, as a republic, uh, a, d- a democratic republic, which is what we are, um, representative republic, if we were to change to, say, socialism or communism, which is a bad idea, by the way. Um, I can actually, I think I could argue from the Bible, not that any form of government is good or bad, but I could argue that socialism and communism are anti-Christian. But regardless of that, if you're about to make that big change, that's a huge change for a nation. It means a change for everyone. And in chapter 8, as you just heard read, that's exactly what Israel's doing. They're having to change from one form of government to another. Or maybe not, yeah, it really is, well, you'll see. To get that, you have to know how they're governed. They're a monarchy, right? But their monarch is up in heaven. Their king is God. So you could say they're a theocracy, but they're really a monarchy, But the king happens to be in heaven. God sees himself as their king. Now, if God is your king, there's some advantages because he's rich, he's generous, he's loving, he tells the truth all the time. That's a good king to have, right? He he is the maker of you. He understands you. He wants what's good for you. He'll protect you. Um, And also, being God, he's holy, and he expects you to approach him as holy and and perhaps that's the drawback. Uh, people don't want a holy God to live up to. They'd rather do what they want to do. And that's the truth of the Israelites. Now Israel, having God as their king, you might think, well, how do you exactly administer that? How does that practically work out? Okay, God's king. How do we work that out every day? Well, they were divided by tribes, 12 tribes, and each knew who they were. And they were divided within those tribes uh, in subsections of clans and families all the way down to households. And they'd been that way since they left Egypt. They're very organized people, the Jews were. And perhaps they still are, if they were all living in one place. And and those families would handle most things. Also, God would administer his ways through the elders of those clans and tribes, as well as through the priesthood that he set up through Moses. He had a worship a way of worshiping, and the priests would teach what is right and what is wrong, and they'd also administer um, provision for people and, and whatnot. So there were humans there. The role Samuel played was judge. Now, judge for them was not like judge for us. This is, uh, let's, he was like a circuit-riding ruler. He, he was kind of like Moses was. If there were problems that couldn't be handled, let's say, on the local level by the families or the clans or the elders or even the priests, Then you had to call someone in, and you called in Samuel, the man of God, the judge. He was more of a prophet, but he would judge, and so he would travel, and if you had trouble in your town that you couldn't solve, you'd wait till Samuel got there 
And he would say, okay, this is right, this is wrong, and this is the word of God, and that settled the matter. And that's how they were managed for most of Samuel's adult life. Uh, if you remember right, last chapter, their lament ended. God restored the stuff the Philistines took, gave them their cities back, and all the years of Samuel's reign as judge, if you will, or life, God blessed Israel. Well, now we're skipping his entire life. We saw his boyhood. We had a glimpse of him as a young man. Now he's old, just gone. It's not in the Bible what those years were like, except God blessed them. But now he's nearing the end. He's getting old. And as he's getting old, for the first time, he thinks, I need to delegate. I can't keep this circuit writing business going. So he delegates to his sons. The people rightly complained about his sons because apparently they were the kind who took bribes, right? That, that often happens with people in government. If you give them power, um, you can buy that power somehow. Tickets to a show, a uh, little extra land here, perhaps a deal you want done, or just plain out cash. And, and it, apparently Samuel's sons were, would take a bribe. So the people came and complained to Samuel, which was fine. You should complain about that. And perhaps Samuel would have solved it, but we'll never know because instead the people said, here's what we want. We want a king. We want a human king. So they were saying, we want to reject the way we're governed. We do not want a king in heaven. We want a king right here on earth, like every other tribe and all those other people have. A guy you can say, that's our guy. A guy who will make Israel great again. And... (laughs) having some fun here you know if you don't like that you could be chairman Mao it doesn't matter we want a guy to say that's our guy and and he could lead us to war and he could rule us that was their solution well the problem was in order to do that they were rejecting God well God's your king well I know he's up there somewhere but we want a human king this is a very big moment not only in Israel's history but in world history There are only two times that Israel rejects God as their king. And this is one of them. And this is really the beginning of the destruction of their nation. They're going to have human kings. And these guys are going to be mostly nothing but trouble. There'll be a couple decent ones. One or two really good ones. Most of them will stink. And it's the beginning of the end of them being taken over a few hundred years later because they're so wicked. And then they'll reject again. So that's the the setup to why this matters, why this chapter is inserted in the Bible. So you will see how Samuel moves us from the time of Joshua and Judges now to the time of the Kings and Chronicles. If you read, if you're used to your Bible, you'll see it as 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. And you can read all about their kings right there. But here's where it gets started. Now, what's Samuel's reaction to this? He's vexed. That's a word we don't use much, but we should. It's just a great word. He's vexed. He's ticked. He's, he's surly. He's grumpy. He's like, this stinks. This is a bad idea by you people. So what he does when he's vexed is probably what I should always do when I'm vexed. I sometimes do it when I'm vexed, but sometimes I speak first. <laughs> he went and prayed. You know, when we're all vexed, What if we all said, let's go pray before I talk? And that's what he did. He went and he talked to God, and and God gave him wisdom. And perhaps some of the most important words of the chapter 
uh, our verse 7, 8, and 9, because that's where God led the way, and God's words are the most important thing. So let me, let's look at what happened. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, quote, this is what God said, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them, and you'll show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So God says, okay, Samuel, here's what we're going to do with what they're saying to you. So what we want to do is make some observations about God's response so we understand what he is saying and what this means. There's four observations. One, they are rejecting me as their king, God is saying to them. God is saying, you you are rejecting me as your king. Samuel perhaps was insecure because notice God said, look, look, um, (laughs) um, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. Samuel says, have I not been judging them for decades? Have you not blessed them? Have I not served you? Have I not brought them the word? And look, I'm a good leader, aren't I? Maybe he's having some sort of insecurity, midlife crisis, late life crisis. I don't know. We don't want you, Samuel. We want a real king. We want a real leader. And God said, don't take it personally. It's not you, it's me. It's me they're rejecting. This reminds me of what Jesus would say to the apostles. Jesus gathered his apostles before he went to the cross and before he was going to take off for heaven. And he said this in John 15, 18. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. See, Israel rejected God. So, of course, they rejected his representative, right? Samuel, it's me they're mad at. It's me. They don't want to be holy. It's me they're rejecting. You're my representative, so they're not going to like you either. You know, there's so much of our thinking and sphere in this country now is political and messy, and there's all kinds of political fights. But one of those things that's really true is anything Christian is going to be shot down. Not because of you, but because people don't want God telling them what to do. You know, don't, don't, I don't want to hear about God and his rules about sex from you. Who are you to tell me? It's not you. It's not you about abortion. It's God. The best ministry advice I ever got, I, I heard from a, a fellow who was a Romanian pastor during the Soviet Union and went through a lot of persecution and whatnot. And that's a story unto itself. But one of the things he told me and a group of many other pastors who were in the room, um, he said to young pastors, and I was a newer pastor, I wasn't that young, I was like 35. He said, he said, listen, when you're attacked from within the church and you will be, and you don't think you've done anything wrong, it's not personal. And that has turned out to be some of the most helpful advice to keep me from losing my mind going off the handle, acting stupidly, is to remember it's not personal. It's not personal. There's some people who don't like God. And if you say you represent them, they won't like you. (laughs) And it's true in your life. It's true in my life. It's important we discern that because we never want to hate 
anyone. And so if people are opponents of God, even if it may make us mad in the moment, it really should, it deserves our compassion because they're lost. And they don't want to die enemies with God, right? And we want to be able to respond with love. Well, one of the easiest ways to respond with love is to remember this isn't personal. Perhaps the verse in the Bible, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But against the principalities and powers and the rulers of this present darkness, spiritual forces. In any case, that principle is right here. God is saying, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Now, that's a much more serious crime, too. Rejecting Samuel, not smart. Rejecting God, extremely, extremely, extremely not smart. Second observation about God's words to Samuel is, he's saying they're forsaking my goodness for other gods. He, he realizes, he, he's setting the record straight. He said right in there, he says, according to all the deeds they've done since I brought them up from Egypt, forsaking, and serving, forsaking me and serving other gods. <laughs> he said, you know, I took them out of Egypt. I went and got them. And, 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 and it's been hundreds of years I've been putting up with this, Samuel. You've only been putting up with it for 50 or 60 years. I've been putting up with this stuff from these people for a long time. And it's not just that they're rejecting me, but they're choosing something else. They're choosing other gods, right? When people reject God, they don't go into a vacuum. They fill up on something else, and and they're filling up with other gods. They're regularly stumbling over that. The third observation, and, and perhaps this is the one that gets my attention the most, is God said, give them fair warning about the mistake they're making. We should observe that God is telling Samuel to warn them. They're not going to listen, and he knows they're not going to listen, but he's given them a chance. He said, so give them fair warning. You want a human king? Yes. You're trading God as a king for a man as a king. Correct. God who owns everything doesn't need anything from you (laughs) and will give you his stuff to a human king who, on the other hand, will take what you own. That's what you want. You want to trade someone who, you want to trade Santa Claus for the tax collector. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. Okay, you want to trade a God who has the power to give you flocks and give you children and give you families and give you these things that make life rich. Or you want a king who will take your daughters He'll take your sons. He'll make them soldiers. He'll make them work his land. He'll make them do what he wants them to do. He'll take your animals. You could have me, God, who will give you children. You can have king who will take your children. What? You sure you want a human king? Yes, is what they're saying. Okay? You can have God that gives you the abundance of the earth, food, Water, wine, joy, blue skies, and apple pie, if they had apple pie. Or you can have the king who also loves wine, food, and apple pie, and spare ribs, and whatever else. You know, you can either have me who gives it to you, or you can have him who takes yours. You can have God who loves you, who loves you so much that he's put up with you for centuries. And still will bless you. If you'll repent, he'll still forgive you. Or you can have a king who looks after himself. You could have the wisdom that comes from heaven. Or you can have capriciousness and weakness. He's giving them, God is being reasonable, isn't he? He's saying, 
my children, let's reason this out. And he, and he pulls off a big legal sheet <laughs> and hangs it in the sky, a big yellow sheet. And he goes, we're going to put pros on one side, children, and cons on the other. And the pros are like, shoom. And the cons are bad for, for each one. And they go, it's obvious you need to not reject God. Samuel makes it clear. God is reasonable. God is the same way today. Let me show you in Isaiah, a few hundred years after they have kings, and when things are starting to go really ugly and God's going to have to punish them, God says this in Isaiah chapter 1. He says, come now to these these people's great-great-grandchildren. He's having another moment like this. He said, I've been patient with you. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. (laughs) Your sins are like scarlet. I can make them whiter than snow. Isn't that a good deal? (laughs) They're red like crimson. You have blood on your hands. I can make them clean like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you're going to eat good stuff in the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you're going to be killed with a sword. Now, (laughs) let's reason this out, God says to Israel in Isaiah's time, hundreds of years after Samuel's time. And again, hundred or so years after that, when it's the very end for Israel, Ezekiel says, or God says through Ezekiel, why will you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. God is reasonable with us. Would you like salvation as a free gift or, you know, it's, it's not let's make a deal, but that's, you know, Carol Merrill is over here. I don't know who she is, but you can have salvation as a free gift, or you can leap into hell. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Which, which one will it be? It gives the same choice to people today. Uh, we reason with people when we try to bring them to know Jesus as Savior. We, it's okay to reason with them. Not argue, but reason. Or, or if you start to fight, you're not going to get anywhere. I've done that many times. But you can ask questions. When you hit a wall, ask a question of your friend. And say, is your life really better the way you're running it? Or do you think it might be better if you ran it God's way? <laughs> do you think God really has it in for you? Or do you think he sent his son because he loves you? Let's think this through. And finally, the fourth thing we should observe about what God said to Samuel was God told him, give them what they want. That surprises me. You know, they're asking for a stupid thing, God. It's like your kid asking, Dad, I'd like a pet lion. Lions will eat you, son. Well, give me a baby. They grow up and eat you. But I want one. Okay. God says, yeah. I don't exactly know what to make of that. I don't think there's a pastor on the planet who can make anything of that. We can explain that God did it because it's what's best. Because he always does what's best. He always knows all the factors. He always knows the best response even to our stupid prayer requests. But I can't say I understand it. Perhaps we should 
wonder if when a nation has bad leaders, is it possible that God is giving the nation the leaders that they deserve, that they ask for? I don't know. It is an important November. Make sure you vote and vote for what you think is the closest to righteousness, realizing how fallen mankind is. Um, okay, so that's, that's the text. I, I just want to pull two principles out and we'll be done. All right? <laughs> that, that's what God says to Samuel. Now, what, are, what, what can we pull out of that so we can live our lives by it? One, God is still shepherding the people. Note the goodness of God. They're, they're knuckleheads, right? These guys, how maddening would it be to lead people like this in any context, from grade school to your own kids to, to, to your company to the local... Um, uh, I can't remember what they call it. housing. When houses get together, make a group. I don't even know why. I, w- I should have left that one behind. It's not coming to my head. HOA, which stands for how? Hel- Thank you, homeowners association. I've never been in one. I'll strike that from the next illustration next time. And or the government. If you run the government, you you, you deal with people and you say, look, I'm going to give you two choices. One is just filled with blessing, and the other one is for the stupid people. And they'll go stupid for us. And you're like, I can't. If- To while you throw your hands up. Not God. He's not. His people are rejecting his leadership, but he is not rejecting his people. He's not abandoning them. Think in your life. My life. Have you ever rejected his leadership? And then when you realized how bad that made things, you turn around to see if he was still there, and what'd you find out? He was still there. His, his love is greater than our love. Now, why historically and biblically is he faithful to these people? The reason is he's faithful to his own purposes. I told you I'm going to do something with you as a nation. I'm going to do something with you as a nation. Now, remember, big picture here. Israel exists to fulfill a promise that God made centuries before to their great-grandfather Abraham, who's the father of all of them. The nation exists to fulfill a promise to one man. Let's push this further. You live in a, in a global geopolitical climate that is arranged specially by God for one purpose, to fulfill the promise God made to Abraham. So it affects the United States of America today. But directly to them, Israel exists to fulfill a promise God made centuries before. And just because this knucklehead generation is blowing it, he's not getting rid of his promise. You can't throw his plan off. Well, this will screw up God's plan. We'll kill his missionaries. It didn't work. Right? (laughs) We'll burn down their church building. It won't work. God has a plan. In Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3, perhaps one of the most important verses of the Bible, because some are more important than others, though all are the Word of God. And I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation. You, you're one man, 
Wait till you see what I do with you. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the nations, same word. All the ethnic people groups of the world are going to be blessed through you, Abraham. I'm making you one great nation, Israel, and through you, every nation on earth will be blessed. So what is God's vision for the nation Israel? That the Jews, God's chosen people, not because they're better or worse, they're just people would bring salvation to the whole world. You ever wonder why the Jews are the most hated people in the world? The answer, it's not personal. Satan hates God. If he can destroy the Jews, he can destroy the promise. That's always been why. And then when you Christians came along... You were grafted in to Israel spiritually, spiritually, and that's why Satan hates you. It's not personal. God has not forgotten the promise he made for Abraham. They are unfaithful. He is faithful. So, by the way, as a parenthesis, when God says he loves you, And that those he's called, he will raise up on the last day. He's the same with you. When you blow it, he's faithful. His purpose is to bring you to heaven and glorify you. He will not even let you thwart that purpose. And that's good news, right? So God chose Israel and he loves them. And through them will bless the world. He didn't make this promise just one time. Let me show you a couple more. They're they're over and over in Genesis. Another time, Genesis 18, 18 seeing that Abraham shall surely become great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. It's a question because it's in another context about Sodom and Gomorrah. But he says the same thing. Abraham, you're going to be a great nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. There it is in Genesis 18. God said it again. And then in Genesis 22, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. How many times does God have to say something for it to be true? The answer is once. I just showed you three, but that's not even all of the ones in Genesis because he he reminds Isaac of the promise. He reminds Jacob of the promise. So if God says the same thing over and over, the reason why the Bible, God says, the reason why you, Abraham, the reason why Jacob, the reason why Isaac, the reason why all that is because I'm making you a great nation who will bless all nations, then maybe he means it. And that's the plan for the world. That's why you should always be kind to Jews. <laughs> Even if they don't believe. That God has set them aside for a purpose that's just awesome. What will not deter his plan? The Jews' disobedience. And many times, not all of them, but the majority turn away from their own God. Today, the majority of the Jews are turned away from their own God. Not all of them, but the majority. But God's promise, if God made a promise, he didn't, it wasn't 
reciprocal. He didn't say, Abraham, you do this and I'll do this. He just said, I promise. It's like a dad. I promise I'll be at your baseball game. If he's a man of his word, he'll be there. Well, is God a God of his word? I promise. Well, then <laughs> your promise is getting screwed up because under Samuel's time, look, and they're acting the fool. God's like, I, I'm going to shepherd them through this because I made a promise and I'm not going to be a liar. He's faithful to himself. Humans cannot change God's promise. 300 years later, Isaiah would arise and say this. Look at Isaiah 49. It's the exact same thing he said to Abraham. But he said it to Abraham in about, what was that? Um, 2000 BC. And Isaiah is in about 700. So this is 1300 years later. He says this through Isaiah. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. He's saying to the Messiah who hasn't come yet. Messiah, it's too small a thing that you should bring salvation just to Jacob. Now Jacob is saying Israel. The 12 tribes come from Jacob, right? He had 12 sons. He's, he is named Israel. It's too, it's too small. It's not enough that I just save all you Jews. And to bring back the preserved of Israel. Oh, I'm going to do that. And the day will come, you and I may even see it, when, when Israel all turns back to their God. I'm going to do that, but that's too small, God says. I'm going to make you, Messiah, a light for all the nations. All the, some dude is going to pop out of the Jews as Messiah, and the Chinese are going to say, he's God. And the, and the Indians are going to say it. And the Africans are going to say it. And, and all the, the Viking hordes are going to say it. Even the French get saved. That's how good God is. My salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Are you seeing that's the whole message of the Bible, isn't it? God's plan for Israel was to reveal himself to all the nations. First through the law he gave to Moses. Then through the prophets who spoke, and mostly and finally through his son Jesus, to whom he declared, here I am. Jesus died for Israel. He hung on a cross as an innocent man, lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Israelites would slay the lamb, the innocent lamb, the baby, the year-old male, did nothing wrong. Lambs don't do anything wrong anyway. They can't even think of how to do anything wrong. If they came up with a bad idea, they don't even have claws. You never see a band of lambs running around making a mess. You know, It's not like wolves or bears or horses that break all your fences. Lambs are like, two sticks, I'm not very strong, what am I going to do? Take an innocent lamb, slay it. Shed its blood. Say prayers to God in Hebrew. Forgive us our sins. Cover them. Why? Because the wages of sin is death and something innocent, symbolically innocent, a lamb. So then the son comes, the lamb of God. He's completely innocent human soul. Made in the image of God as a human, but also fully God. And he offers himself on the cross. And the prayers go up for the sins of the world. So he died for Israel, but he didn't just die for Israel. 
He died for the whole world. That's why, friends, never, ever, ever be ashamed of Jesus, the name of Jesus, or the cross. Right? Nothing can stop God's promise. Okay, the the second principle here, and really the final one I have, is God's kingdom is not of this world. This is the sticking point. People have said, well, you Christians want pie in the sky. And that's an old-timey saying. People don't say it as much. I always liked it because it rhymed. It was before my time, but it was a criticism. You guys want pie in the sky. That means the good stuff comes later. What about right now? And there's always some who think they're very smart Christians, progressive Christians. Today, they walk around saying they're going to bring the kingdom now. We don't just have our head in heaven. We're actually bringing the kingdom to earth by feeding the poor and helping the chickens or whatever they do. It's hard to trade an ice cream now for heaven. You mean no ice cream? I mean, it's, this earth is a good place. God puts good things on this earth. It's a sad place, too. Right? It's, it's ultimately a horrible place. Don't believe it? Keep living. Eventually, the people you love will die, or you will start to get brittle, and you'll die, and they'll all cry. What a happy thing. And then guess what? They're all going to follow you into the gaping mouth of death. There's a happy place for us all. Where if, if we don't kill one another, don't worry, diseases and accidents will get us. Loneliness, everyone understands lonely songs. Everyone knows what it feels like to say to everybody, I don't need you, because even love hurts here. <laughs> right? It's a rough world. But it has so many good things. Maybe I could be happy here. The people of Israel didn't want a heavenly king. We know God is in heaven as a king. Eternally and all that stuff. We want membership in a kingdom right here on earth. But God is not looking for people who want a kingdom here. He is looking for people who have him as their king. He wants people who want more. The people who want the things of earth don't want enough. They want ice cream, but they don't want the best ice cream. They want steak, but they don't want the best steak. They want music. They don't want the best music. They want sex, and they don't want whatever corresponding pleasure that is. But I don't know what it is. Because apparently that's not there. But I don't think there's any pleasure on earth that isn't greater there. They want blue skies, but they don't want blue skies that blow your mind. They want water, but they don't want living water. You don't want enough if you don't want heaven. And God doesn't want people who don't want enough. He wants people who are greedy for heaven. Jesus came, God in the flesh. He said, blessed are you who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because this world ain't a righteous place, is it? All these centuries still no justice. And guess what? That ain't changing. We get it as right as we can get it. And it ain't never that right. 
And some of you cry out, if only the sorrows of this world could be undone and the bad people could stop doing wickedness and someone would defend the oppressed. If only there were righteousness. Give me a gun. Well, it's your liberation theology. (laughs) Give me social justice. Liberate me. You don't want enough. You're not going to get it here. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who mourn. You're not going to have no mourning here. (laughs) For they shall rejoice. Do you long for the return of Christ, or is he just an interruption? Man-led kingdoms will never deliver satisfaction. Because they're always ruled by kings. You can call them anything. You could call them anything. You could call them politburos or parliaments or congresses or supreme courts or dictators. You call them anything you want. They're still kings and they're flawed and the best of them may only last for a few decades and then they die and then you get back to the normal which just wants to take your stuff. And that ain't changing no matter what anybody says in your poli-sci class. You're never going to get satisfaction you need here. America is as good as I've ever heard of. It's as good as it gets. And we're still finding a way to screw that up. God could, has God ever blessed a nation with more freedom, more goodness, more kindness? We've got that in bucket loads, and that's good. But we also then say, we're going to take porn as far as we can. We're going to kill as many babies as possible. We're going to just sin. Thanks, God. And this is as good as it gets. God is searching for a people who want to give up earth for heaven. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, after Jesus has returned to heaven, the writer is trying to encourage Christians to be like the Old Testament people. He says, because the Old Testament people didn't want earthly kingdoms. That's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11. If if you're not familiar with that, fine, but some of you know that's the faith chapter in the Bible. And you love to call the roll and and do K. Arthur studies and completely destroy your ability to read your Bible with shapes. (laughs) Few of you have seen that. The whole point is that God is, doesn't want people who want earth. There it is. Now go back and read it. It says stuff like this. By faith Abraham obeyed, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Well, heck, he lived in tents in the desert. He never found that city. No, but that's what he wanted. These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. These people were willing to say, I'll take God as my king. And I realize that as soon as I say that, I've forsaken all earthly allegiance. And that makes me an alien here, a stranger here. My brain is different. I want heaven. I don't want a gun. 
They have acknowledged that they're strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They want something. Never, never were the monks right. The monks were always wrong. They said, let's get rid of, let's get rid of earth by wearing scratchy things, living in a cell, you know, not speaking, <laughs> not, not you know, they deprive themselves of comfort. This ought to get us to heaven. No, it just gives you a rash. Makes you cold. <laughs> it hurts your back. That won't get, what gets you to heaven is, is not that. You need to want more, not less. Being a Christian isn't asceticism. It isn't saying, because I love God for eternity, I don't care if he gives me anything. If that's your point of view, God doesn't want you. He's looking for people who want it all. They they were seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have returned. They had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. He's saying what makes Abraham and Sarah great is they wanted a country they'd never been to. They never heard the national anthem of. They never smelled the, the wind in the air. They never saw the sky. They never tasted the food. They never saw its beauties, but they knew it was the greatest, and that's what I want. And whatever I gotta do to live here so I get that, that's what I'm gonna do. And that is what produced living by faith. Christianity is not about killing your desires. It's about cranking them babies to 11. (laughs) Crank them up. Well, it goes to 10. Recalibrate. Go to 11. As it is, they desire a better country. They want it. That's heaven. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. What do you think he feels about Samuel's generation? He's probably saying, Samuel, I'm not ashamed of you, but those folks, they don't want a heavenly king. They don't want earth. For he has prepared for them a city. There is a place. Samuel wanted a heavenly king. Israel wanted an earthly king. Ten centuries later, Israel again chooses an earthly leader rejecting your God, and this is the second time. And this time, it's the one we call our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because that's when the heavenly king comes down to earth, and then he shows himself, I am the heavenly king. Here I am. Receive me, Israel. He rides in on a donkey, and at the end of the week, instead of receiving him as the king of heaven, and all that goes with that, which is good, good stuff, They beat him, they mock him, they spit at him, and a Roman governor has, they give him control to the Romans. They give the Jew over to the bad guys. And he brings them out, beaten, half stripped, bloody, thorns on his head, and he's standing there before him, and Pilate says, Behold, your king. (laughs) The world should have stopped turning at that moment. This is their second chance. They blew the first one. Now it really matters. 
What do the people say? We have no king but Caesar. And they rejected heaven for earth again. And though it's not popular to say it, the Jews have paid for that ever since, but salvation has come to the world. You say, that can't be the plan of God. That is the plan of God. What was Jesus' point of view of these times? He'd already said it. He just said it to Pilate. He had said this just before that. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. I didn't come here to set up social justice labs in the inner cities. I didn't come here to get a gun and rebel against the bad guys. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting like the like in Allah. It says my servants are of God, so go and take take for God with a sword. And here's Jesus saying, if they were if this was my kingdom, those would be my people. This ain't my this ain't my kingdom. That's why no one who takes up a sword in the name of Jesus to bring the religion of God to a people is right. Because that's just saying, I want more earth. My kingdom, he says, is not from the world. From the first time Israel rejected God as king, he gave them an earthly king. The second time they rejected God as king, he gave them a human, but he's still the king of heaven. And then something tricky happened. Something, because God became a man, some kind of magic happened in the universe. That when he got up from the dead, breaking the power of death as a man, he came back, and before he left, he said, listen, all authority on heaven and earth is given unto me. Now he's the king of heaven and the king of earth. Oh, they're rebelling against him down here. But if anyone says, you can't preach the gospel in the school, yeah, you can, because a higher authority said you can. Well, they may kick us out. They may, but they'll have to answer the king one day. If anyone says, no, you can't take the gospel to this country because it's a closed country, they don't accept missionaries. You're like, no, they can. Because he said, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. I'm not just the king of the Jews of earth. I'm the king of everything. Go make disciples of all nations. This is why you should never be ashamed of Jesus or the cross. He's the king of the world. If you're ashamed of him now, what will you say when he shows up in the sky? But I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles. So right now, people from every tribe and every nation have the same choice Israel had under Samuel, but it's even more clear. Now God says to every human on this earth, Paul said that because of Jesus, God now calls all men everywhere to repent. That means that God calls every human on this planet, man, woman, boy, or girl, to answer this question, who's your king? Is it the king of heaven, or do you want something on earth? And I ask you that. If you've not yet given your life to Christ, what I'm telling you, it's a governance issue. You're choosing to rebel against the God of the universe and you will pay. You could either pay that price and be punished. Lake of fire, the whole bit that people say isn't real. (laughs) It's real. Or you can have forgiveness of sins because of his blood and eternal life and he lives with you. It's really 
a no-brainer. But as a Christian, realize that makes you an ambassador for Christ in a foreign land every day. That's your purpose. What's my purpose? I work in a machine shop and I don't know what I do. What do you mean you don't know what you do? You're an alien from a foreign land working in a machine shop filled with a couple other aliens and a whole lot of people who need to become aliens or they're going to be thrown into fire. Figure it out. I'm just a mom. I've got to raise all these kids and blah, blah, blah. I can't do anything really important. Oh, no. You're an alien who's got to raise these kids to know the king. Where's your citizenship? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you, but maybe you've got to um, do something. Maybe you've got to make a decision yourself. And I can't make decisions for you. I can't say, blessings on you and you're saved. Blessings on you and you're obedient. Blessings on you and you stop sinning. You've got to make those decisions. I can pray for you. And God will answer that prayer, but you have to make those decisions. Which decision do you have to make tonight? Is it time to stop running and become a follower of Christ for real? Is it time to give up that sin and you know what it is and I don't? Is it time to do what you know you should be doing or have wanted to do? Is it time to give up your desires for earth and start really, really longing for heaven? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.